We are reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, and then 19 to 22. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you were looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what it is you have to say. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we long to see how it is you are going to take your word and your will and cause them to intersect in our lives. Holy Spirit, it is not by power, not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. You are the one who fills, you are the one who anoints, you are the one who gives the ability to understand. And so I pray that, God, you would move in a very powerful way in our midst this morning, that you'd speak very clearly to our hearts. Lord, so many of us, English is not our first language. And I ask, precious Father, that you would enable us not only to hear but to understand what it is that is being preached this morning. And God, let us not simply be hearers of the word but doers also. God, we need you so desperately. Come and let your presence fill this time to the glory of your name and your name alone, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was reading an account uh, by his name is William Fry. He's a former Episcopalian uh, bishop who talked about when he was in college, he, he was paid to be a reader for a blind student. And so one day he was helping out this blind student, and he got up the courage to say, John, how did you lose your eyesight? And he said, I was 13 years old, and he said there was a chemical explosion which took my eyesight. And then John proceeded to talk about, about what, it, what effect it had on his life. And he said, when I went blind, he said, I didn't handle it well. He said, I was angry. He said, in those days, there wasn't a lot for people who had lost their sight. He said, I was angry, and he said, I spent all my time in my bedroom. He said, I didn't have anything to read. He said, I spent my time feeling sorry for myself. He said, my parents would bring my meals in there, and he said, that's where I I stayed. One day, he said, my father came into the room, and he said, John, you know that it is always your job to put up the storm windows. Now, here's where I need to give us a little bit of help. In the the United States, I, I don't know if other parts of the world do this as well, but they have what's called storm windows. They, in, the, in the middle western part of the United States, up, up north where I was from, they have windows where in the, in the spring and in the summer of the year, they put a screen on so the mosquitoes and the, and the flies can't come in there. But come winter, come fall, like this time of year in the, in the United States, we take the screens off and we put regular panes of glass in there. Those are called storm windows. Okay, so back to the story. So John's father came in and said, John, it is your job to put up the storm windows. And he said, I expect that they'll be done tonight by the time I get home. And he shut the door. And John's thinking, what, doesn't he see that I'm blind? 
He said, what does he expect me to do? And he said, okay, fine. I'll show him. I'll show him. I'll put up those storm windows, and I'll fall down off the ladder too. So then they won't have, not only will they have a blind son, they'll have a paralyzed son as well. And so he felt his way out to the garage, and he found the ladder, and he brought the ladder back out to the house, and he set it on the house. And then he went to the, went to the garage, and he felt around, and he brought, got the storm windows and brought them out to each particular window that he had to go on, and he put it up. And he crawled up the ladder, and he was able to take off the screens and put in the storm windows all around the house. And when he finished, and when he got down off the ladder, he heard a... <clears throat> and he realized at that moment that his father had been, throughout the whole time, his father had been no more than two meters away from him the whole time that he had been putting up those windows. God is always at work around us. Throughout our days, we may not think that God is at work around us, but God is always at his work. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is always at his work. And as we look today, as we begin this series on experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God, which is so important, it is so important to know know God's will, and not only to know it, but to do what it is that God is calling us to do. And as we embark on this series, we start today where God is always at work in our lives. And as we looked at the text today, we, we saw here, um, we saw in, in the text that uh, we start out in chapter 10. And chapter 9 and chapter 10, I don't know if you're someone who, I don't know if we even have copies, physical copies of the Bible here. So many of us use our phones. But I, in my Bible at home and even here, I, I, I like to mark up my Bible. It's not wrong to mark up your Bible. I mark it up for different occasions. But in chapter 9 and chapter 10, those are, it's a big curve. It's a big change is on its way. Because up until this time, the primary ministry of the disciples has been to the Jewish people. Now it's going to make a major change. Not that throughout the ministry of Jesus that he hasn't ministered to Gentiles. When Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi, where he says to the disciples, Who do men say that I am? That's a very Gentile area. And he reached out in that area. As well, we know that in Scripture, in the book of Jonah, Jonah, in, that's the book we'll be studying in November, Jonah was sent to the Assyrian people, Gentile people, and Jonah was not happy about going and taking the gospel there. And as we come to chapter 9 and chapter 10 especially, the change is going to come here where the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, but also major ministry is now going to be done to Gentiles as well. Who are Gentiles? I think just about every one of us in this room, unless you have some Jewish blood in you, all of us in this room are Gentiles. Those are non-Jewish people. And as we see here, God is at work. The first thing that we see is that God is at work in the lives of unbelievers. It, it says, at Caesarea, Caesarea as we look up there, Caesarea was a town that was just on the coast. It was on the very coast of Israel. It was a town that was hated by the Jewish people. They hated it because the predominant population of that city was either Roman or they were Greek people that were there. Very, very small contingent of Jewish people in that area. And so the Jewish people, they, they did not like the city of Caesarea, which is amazing as we look at, at, uh, at Cornelius. And in that city of, of Caesarea, there was a man who, by the name of Cornelius. He was a centurion. Centurion means that he's over 100 men. And it was part of the Italian regiment. The Italian regiment, a regiment was made up of 600 soldiers. So he would have been one of six centurions. He would have been a man who would have been, um, he would have been a, a powerful man. As we read in Matthew chapter 8, verses uh, 8 and 9. Um, if we could have that up there. A centurion came to Jesus and said, Lord, one of my servants is, is sick. And he said, would you, and 
Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. And the centurion replied, he said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man, look at the power. He said, I am a man myself under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. That one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. He was a powerful man. He was also a man of prestige because he was one of the six centurions. He would have also been a very wealthy man. And not only was he these things, but he was also a seeker. He was somebody who was seeking hard after God. I've got to be careful. I want to be careful of churchy words. And we talk about seekers. Uh, what it simply means is he was somebody who was looking hard after God. And we already see this in the book of Acts. We see there's a lady by the name of Lydia. She was, a, she was a businesswoman, a wealthy businesswoman, who sold purple cloth. We see as well an Ethiopian eunuch. God tells Philip, he says, there, go out, leave where you're at, and go out to the desert, and there he sees a chariot. And in the man, God says, go stand by the chariot. These were people whose hearts God was already at work. And God says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 13, he said, if you seek me, he said, you will find me. If you seek for me with all of your heart, And Cornelius was a man who was seeking after God. What was it that caused him? We don't know what it was. Because you think about this. He was a man who was seeking off hard after God. We're told that uh, Cornelius was a devout man. He had a heart that was given over to what it was that God desired. He would have been able to attend synagogue, but he would not have been able to, uh, to participate in all of its activities because he was not a convert to Judaism. He was not a Jew. As well... We say that we know as well from those verses that he feared God. He reverenced God as well. He was a man who gave generously to those in need. He prayed to God regularly. And this is crazy. He was respected by all of the Jewish people. Think about that. Caesarea was a city the Jewish people hated. And yet Cornelius had so engendered himself to the people there that they loved him. They respected and loved him. And I think about what it was that that caused Cornelius to seek after God. And here's where we look at what it is that God is doing in our lives. God is the one who draws people. God is the one, first of all, who initiates. He initiates. We never never stumble across God. It's never in our hearts to seek after God. As you hear many times, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. All have, or there's none who seeks after God. Left to our own devices, we would not have sought out God. God is the one who initiates the conduct. Look at this. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Look at when he initiated the, con- the contact with, with Jeremiah. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God is the one who always initiates the contact in our lives. God is the one who always initiates the relationship in our lives. God is the one who is seeking after us, as we will learn next week. Why does God do this? He pursues us to have a relationship with us because he knows left to ourselves, we would not desire a relationship with them. Men love darkness, God's word says, because their deeds are evil. And God is the one who draws us to himself. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 1, or Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, I love this. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you. With what kind of love does he love them? What does it say up here? I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. That means that there is nothing I can do to make God love me any less. There is nothing I can do to make God love me any more. God says, I love you. Sometimes we think, uh, have you ever seen a kid 
longing for attention from a parent. I was at the Jolly Bee a, a few months ago. Yeah, I love fried chicken. Sorry, I've been looking for a good fried chicken place. So I had the Jolly Bee, and there was a, a guy and his wife, and they had two Filipina helpers and two, two kids that were there. And the one little guy, I mean, he was just all over the place. Dad's on the phone talking away. And his kid is like, Daddy, Daddy, notice me. Look at me. Notice me. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a clue as to what's going on until he puts the phone down. And then all he's got for this kid is to yell at him because he's being a kid. And I think about sometimes in our lives, do we ever like, God, here, notice me, or we, we try to get the attention of somebody. We don't have to do that with God. God loves you. God passionately loves you, and that will never change. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what has happened in your life. But it is the enemy who says to you that when you do this, God doesn't love you any longer. What does this scripture say? I have loved you, and that won't ever change. God is madly in love with you. He passionately loves you. And he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you. I have drawn you. God is the one who's pursuing. God is the one who's opened your, up your heart. I don't know what lengths God went to in your life. I've been a Christian for 42 years. But as I look back, I didn't accept Christ till I was in high school. But as I look back in my, over my Christian life, the people that God put into, into my life. When I was a kid, we went to an Alliance Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It was just a tiny, tiny little church. And every summer, we had these two ladies come from Rural Bible Crusade, and they did vi- vi- daily vacation Bible school in our, in our church. The lady, the, the main lady, her name was Miss LaRue. She was a big, big lady. And she would stand up there, and she would teach us God's Word and Scriptures on a the scriptures that I memorized, I memorized back when I was in vacation Bible school. And I think about the sacrifice of those ladies. It wasn't until I was in high school that I prayed to receive Christ. But I think about Sunday school teachers. I think about a pastor. I can't remember a sermon Pastor Gephardt preached, but I remember him as a man who deeply loved the Lord. He was a man who had a lot of effect in my life. And I think about the people in, in whose lives God, God has placed in, in your lives to have an effect in your lives as well. Cornelius was drawn by God. God's the one who initiates the contact with him, but God is also the one who reveals the conditions of our heart. Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, search me and know me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, lead me. God, lead me in your way. God is the one who reveals the condition of our heart because Cornelius was a man, he was devout. He was a man who gave generously. He prayed. He was respected by all the people. He feared God. But what was missing in his life? See, we can be great people. You can go to church, and the problem with being really, really good is that there are going to be a lot of really, really good people in, in hell. Because they thought, it's good. all that I need to do is I just need to go to church. I just need to give money. I just need to be, I just need to be this. I just need to be really good. And for Cornelius, he was one, he was a God-fearer. But he was looking for God, and God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek for me with all of your heart. And God brought, God showed Cornelius, he says in God's word, he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? We need to settle in our hearts. Have we taken the step of praying to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Because there's coming a day when we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. God is the one who's been at work. And one of the questions we'll probably be asked is this, what have you done? What have you done with the gift that I've given you? What have you done with the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ I gave to you?
Cornelius was someone who, in whose life God went to great lengths. God told Cornelius, this is who you need to find. You need to find Peter, and this is where he's at. He's staying in the house of Simon, a tanner. Now, that's interesting. Do, do, do we know what a tanner is? You know when, when uh, you kill a, a, a cow and you take the skin off of it? You have leather shoes, you have leather gloves. Uh, the leather comes from the skin of the animals. The one who works with those animals is called a tanner. It is terribly stinky work. Oh, it, it, We had a tanner right by us in our church in Minnesota where just before I came here. It was awful on summer days. And tanners were considered unclean. The Jewish people weren't, weren't to be around them. And yet we find Simon spending time with this guy. God's already at work in Simon's life, in Simon Peter's life. The lengths to which God went to bring Simon to Cornelius. And I think about the lengths to which God has gone to bring each and every one of us to himself. You alone know what it was that brought you to the place of where you are at today. Brought you to the place of praying to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I think about the lengths to which God will go. I was reading this week uh, Donald Richardson's book, uh, Eternity in Their Hearts. Fascinating, fascinating what, what God does. The area of northern Thailand, the northern part of Laos, the very northern part of, of Vietnam and Burma, the northern part of Burma, Myanmar, and the very southernmost part of China. I believe it's Yunnan province in, in China. There are ten tribes. There are ten tribes that when when they studied these ten tribes, all ten of them had the same, had, had two things in common. The one was this, that of all of these ten tribes, all of them had a book that had been given to them that was lost. It was a book that had been given to them by the Creator God and how to worship Him and how to live the way in which He called them to live. The second one was that after losing that book, somebody would come, a man would come with white skin who would bring them the book, the book that they'd lost, and would tell them, and that book would tell them how to worship the Creator God and how the Creator God wanted them to live. These were tribes like the La Lisu and the Lahu, the Kachin and the Karin, the Wa and the Shan. And for years, for years they were looking for this person, this white person. It's told that the Lahu, when they went down one day into, into a market in southern China, they saw a man, he was white skinned, and they said, You have the book. And he's like, What are you talking about? He was, he was from uh, the UK. He didn't have any idea. He was a military man. He had no idea what they were talking about. And they were on the look. They were looking for this person that they'd heard about. And one day, the Wa tribe in China, they sent, there was a man in their group who said he was a prophet. And he said, <coughs> excuse me, he said, I have heard from the Creator God that you are to follow this pony. And this pony will lead you to where it is that you will find the man who has the lost book that can tell us how it is that we're to worship the Creator God and how it is that we're to live. And so they followed. They followed for 200 miles. What is it? Uh, 300. I had it written down here. 300 and 320 kilometers. They followed this horse. And this horse ends up at a well. And they're like, what's, what's up with this? There's, there's no man here. And they happened to look inside the well. And here there were two eyes looking up at, up at them. And the guy said in the Sean, Sean language, he said, Hi, how can I help you? And he came up out of the well and after a while, he figured out what it was that they were looking for. And they, they looked at him and he said, hey, he's white. And they asked him, he said, do you have the book? And he said, yes. When they said, when he said that he had the book, they were so excited. They said, please, 
Get on this pony right now. We have people who are waiting to hear this. We have places all set up for you to come and teach us. Please come now. And he said, I can't. The Lahu were coming to Christ at that time. And he said over a thousand people were coming on a weekly basis there to be trained and to be taught. He said, I can't leave. But he said, I tell you what, why don't you stay? And he shared with them, and he talked to them about the Creator God, and they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. He trained them, and then they went back, and they took the truth of God's Word back to their tribe. And it was a great moving of God among the Wa people of southern, of southern China. And I think about the lengths to which God went to reach that tribe. And I think about the lengths to which God will go to reach us. Why does he do it? Because he desperately loves you. And he desires to have a relationship. And not only that, God works in us because he desires to work in and through us to accomplish his will. We read in Philippians that it is God who works in us to will and to do his good and perfect, uh, perfect will. God works in us and through us. And God desires to do that. God was at work in unbelievers. God is at work in the unbelievers, those who don't know Christ in your life. For some of you, you have a relative. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a father, a mother, one of your children back in the Philippines who's chosen to walk away from God. Maybe a relative in Africa, in India. We have all people from all over the world. Don't stop praying for them. Because God is at work in their hearts and their lives. Even though you may not see it, God is at work in their lives seeking to bring them to the place of where they receive him. God is also at work in the lives of believers. He was at work in the life of Peter. When Peter comes, or while Peter is waiting, he's with, at Simon the Tanner's home, and he's waiting for, for the meal. And while he's waiting for the meal, it says that he saw a vision, and in the vision, God lowered down before him a sheet, and it had all kinds of, of different kind of animals, both clean and unclean animals. There were certain things, certain animals that Jewish people can't eat. One of them would be uh, pork, pigs, they can't, can't eat uh, hogs. As well, they can't eat shellfish, uh, Lobster, crab, those things, they, they can't eat that. Imagine that. Boy, good stuff. And God said to them, God said to Peter, he said, kill and eat. And Peter said, no. He said, I, I've never eaten anything like that. And God says, don't call what I've called clean, don't call it unclean. And God did it three times. Peter, do you get this? Don't call unclean what it is that I have called clean. And while Peter's thinking about this, God says, there's three men downstairs. Three men downstairs, he said, go with them. God gave Peter an assignment, didn't he? Did Peter know what it was at that time, what it was that God had in mind? Remember, God invites you to join him in what it is that he was doing. There was, God was doing something, and it involved these three men, but he didn't give Peter all the details. Remember, whenever it is that God invites you to join him, it will always result in a crisis of belief. Peter trusted God, and so Peter went with these three men. And as he went to the three men, they take him to Cornelius' house. And when he meets Cornelius, Cornelius bows down before Peter, and Peter says, get up. He said, I'm just a man like you. And he says, why is it that you brought me here? And Cornelius shares with him the vision. And not only does Cornelius share with him the vision, he opens up the door, and here's a room that is filled with people, people also who are ready to hear God was not only at work in the life of Cornelius, but he was also at work in the life of his family and friends as well. And I think about the effect and the work in which God's doing not only in you, but through you, to family members and to people, friends that you know. 
And Peter said, I realize now what it was that God was doing. Because God is not only calling, he said, don't call this food. Well, that I've called clean, don't call it unclean. But don't call these people. These people that are called unclean, these people who are Gentiles, don't call them unclean, what I've called clean. And I praise the Lord for that. Because God is not just a God of Jewish people, but he's a God who includes us as well. People from all over the world. And when these people heard the truth, what did they hear? What does Peter preach? He preaches Christ. And when they heard the truth, what happens? They are filled with the Spirit as well. And Peter realizes, in the same way that Peter was filled with the Spirit, these people can be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to take a time out here. I want to to just stop here for a second to just do a little little teaching here for a minute. Because sometimes there are, are denominations, there are groups that feel that if you are truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you then will be filled with the Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you pray to receive Christ. But they say one of the evidences that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is what? Is that you will speak in tongues. That's not the case. Because if that's the case, then I'm not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never spoken in tongues. Does Have I been filled with God's Spirit? Yes, I am. This morning, even as I, as I was praying for this time, God, anoint me. According to your will, you say in Ephesians, that it is your will that I not be drunk with wine, but that I be filled with your Spirit. God, again this day, for what it is you called me to do, would you fill me with your Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit at the point of when you receive Christ, but you are also called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is an occasion where Peter is seeing that Okay, in the same way that we are followers of Christ, these Gentiles can also be followers of Christ, apart from all the restrictions and things that the Jews require. The lengths to which God went to not only work in Cornelius' life, but to work in Peter's life. Think about this. God is not content. For some of you, you've been a Christian for a long, long time. Others of us are newer, are newer in the faith. But once we come to Christ, that isn't the point of when we stop. I've been a Christian for 42 years, and as I was walking uh, the promenade the other night, I was thinking about that. God, once you become a Christian, doesn't stop there. He continues to work in our lives. He continues to draw us even deeper into a relationship with us. And I need to ask the question of us right now where we're at. Have you gotten to a place in your relationship with Christ where, where where it's stagnant? Where you come to church... You do the church thing on Sunday morning, and you go out of here and live your life the way it is, and then you come back in on a Sunday morning. But God really doesn't have any place in your life. God is the one who is seeking to continually draw us into a deeper relationship with him. He's the one who longs for us to experience him. Does Peter come to experience God in a way that he never would have? He absolutely does. And God longs for us to continue to grow deeper in our relationship with him. So God is not only at work in the lives of unbelievers, but he's also at work in the lives of believers. And God is at work in our lives as well. Three things as we finish up here. God is at work in good times. And one of the dangers in the midst of good times is that we'll do what? Is we'll forget about God. Hey, life's good. And and, And right now, I don't really need God. And one of the temptations and one of the struggles when things are going really well in our lives is that we forget God as we read in his word. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 14, this is one of the things that God was warning about, warning them. He says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God. 
for the good land he has given you. Be careful that, what, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build, find houses, and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. One of the temptations when things are going good is we don't need to seek after God. And in those times, God would be saying, don't forget me. When we're walking through difficult times, and for some of us, we're walking through difficult seasons right now. There may be something going on in your family, in your marriage, at your workplace, with your health, financially, at at university, wherever it might be, in the lives of your children. And in those difficult times, we can go one of two directions. We can either go away from God, or we can go more, or we can go closer to God. And in the times, in those difficult times, God would be saying, look to me. Psalm 46, verse 1 to 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength. I remember this verse. We, uh, we remembered this week as Americans, um, 9-11. Uh, that was a terrible day. I remember it, it well. I remember where I was uh, getting in the car, taking our kids to, to school, and hearing that uh, a plane had gone into one of the towers. And that day, watching it on the, on the television, it was, a, it, was a, it was a terrible time, but it was a time as well that really dropped drew people in the states together. And the night, that it, the day that it happened at night, our president stood before us. And this was the verse that he quoted. I don't know what, somebody probably gave him this verse, but this was the verse that he quoted. And as a nation, we walk through a very difficult time. And as people, we walk through difficult seasons. And in those times, God would be saying, look to me. At times, you can look at your circumstances and look at what it is that's all going wrong. And God would be saying in the midst of those times, instead of looking at all the wrong, look into my eyes. Trust me in those times as well. So in good times, God would be saying, don't forget me. In difficult times, God would be saying, look to me. But there's one last time, times where, where, we're, where we're confused, confusing times. Because some of us are at that place today where we're standing at a crossroads, we, we don't know what it is, God, that we should do. Should we go this direction or should we go this direction? For some of us, both options are good, and we just don't know, God, where is it that we should go? For others of us, we're standing at a crossroads, and God is saying, this is the way. This is my way. Walk in it. And we're saying, hmm, I don't know if I want to walk that way. Because if I go that way, this is what it's going to mean for me. And God would be saying, this is my way. This is my walk in this way. And for others, say, yeah, but this is a whole lot easier over here. I don't know if those are confusing times or not, if God has made it very clear. But in those times, can we ask God? For some of us who are standing at that crossroads and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? God says, if anyone lacks wisdom in the book of James, he's to do what? He's to ask of God who will give it to him. But in those confusing times in the book of Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, with an army staring him down, he says before God, he says, oh, oh our God, Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. That is so huge. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. 
in confusing times, God says, trust me. Trust me. In times when everything is going well, God is saying what? Don't forget me. In times when things are difficult, God is saying what? Look to me. And in times when things are confusing, God would be saying, trust me. Trust me. I don't know what it is that you're walking through or what it is that you're in the midst of right now, but I know that God is in it and that God is good. And in the midst of these times, for, again, I go back to for some of you, you have situations that are going on. A child, a loved one who is away from the Lord, and you're saying, I don't think there's anything that will ever bring that person to the place of where they will ever turn their hearts back to God. And I would say in those times, don't stop praying. The God that we serve is still on the throne. He is a God who deeply loves people. And you look at the extent to which God went to draw people to himself. God is at work in that loved one of yours' life. And God is working to bring that person to him. Don't stop praying. And for some of us as well, we have been a Christian for a long time. But have we said to God, God, where is it that you are at work around me? Because we know that he's always at work. God, would you open my eyes? Would you open my eyes to what it is that you are doing around? God, open Peter's eyes to see, Peter, this is what I'm doing here. And sometimes we miss what it is that God is doing because we're not looking. And looking to see where it is that God is at work in our lives. And God, as well, asking him, Lord, cause my heart to grow deeper with you. Do what you need to do in my heart. As we finish out the sermon today, I want to just pray for you. For some of you, I see some tears. Um, we have loved ones that we deeply, that we deeply wish were walking with the Lord. And as we go to prayer this morning, would you bring that person before the Lord? Just bring them before the Lord and say, God, would you do whatever it takes to bring them to the place of where their hearts, where their hearts are right with you? Again, it may be a child, it may be a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, whoever it is, would you just bring that now before the Lord? I'm going to be quiet for a few moments as you just spend some time before the Lord. Kind Father, I thank you again for the truth of your word. That you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That you love us with an everlasting love. And you have drawn us with loving kindness. Lord, you've heard the names. The names of loved ones that have been brought before you. You see the situations in which these These people were brought to you. You see the tears. And kind Father, I thank you that you were at work. You don't ever throw up your hands and say, I'm done. But you were always at work in people's lives. Kind Father, would you work in such a way to open eyes, to cause hearts to be soft, 
Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in a way that they cannot miss? And God, would you give them hearts, hearts that are soft? Please, Father, work in their lives. And Lord, for many of us, we come in here on a Sunday morning. We have all kinds of things that are going on with our employers, in our homes, our families. And God, at times, if we're honest, we don't see where it is here at work. And God, would you open our eyes. And God, not only open our eyes to see where you're at, but would you open our hearts to join you in what it is that you're doing. And God, as well, for some of us, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've allowed you to work in our lives, to deepen our walk with you. And I pray that God, in and through this series, that, Lord, we will say to you, God, have your will, have your way in us. Lord, I will do what it is that you've called me to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray the blessing of your precious hand upon each one here. I ask that, God, you would open the floodgates of heaven and pour more blessing into their laps than what they could ever hold. And that out of that blessing would pour forth rivers of living water to those that are around us, to those that we love, to those that you put in our lives. Precious Father, come and work in a very powerful way in this precious congregation. Lord, cause us to see how deeply you do love us and where it is that you're at work in our lives. I place them in your hands, asking God for the protection of the blood of Christ over them as well. Walk with us, Lord, as a congregation, as families, and as individuals, that our lives would be a reflection of you. To the glory of your precious and holy name, I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved you with an everlasting love, who has drawn you with loving kindness, who says, you are my children, you are my daughters, you are my sons whom I have adopted. In his precious name would you go, and may the peace of Christ, may the peace of Christ be yours. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you richly.